Bastrop, Louisiana was decked out in yellow ribbons in the new year of 1996. For weeks, the ribbons symbolized the community's hope that Ryan Morris would come home. On New Year's Eve, Ryan's father stopped by his parents' house to pick up his son for an overnight visit. When he arrived, he found his parents had been murdered and his son was missing. For weeks, the FBI assisted state police with evidence in the murders and the kidnapping of nine-year-old Ryan. Locals helped police organize searches for the missing child. Who had taken Ryan? And why would someone murder his grandparents who were beloved in their town? Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the mystery of the Morris family murders. Shortly after noon on December 31st, 1995, Mark Morris and his 14-year-old daughter arrived at his parents' house to pick up his son, Ryan, who had spent the night. 69-year-old Lee and 68-year-old Lou Morris lived on Collingston Road, just outside of Bastrop. As Mark and his 14-year-old daughter, Christy, moved towards the front of the house, Christy noticed the carport door was open, and Mark pointed out the Sunday paper was still in the driveway. Just as Mark and Christy entered the house, the telephone rang. Christy answered and spoke to a person who asked for her grandmother. Christy asked the caller to wait a moment. She walked to her grandparents' bedroom and called for them as she tried to open the door, but it wouldn't open all the way. Christy peeked inside and saw her grandparents lying on the floor. She called for her father, and as he got close to the bedroom door, explained that her grandparents were sleeping on the floor for some reason. Mark Morris told police it was obvious that his parents had been lying on that floor for some time, and they were dead. Mark and Christy immediately began calling for nine-year-old Ryan, but there was no response. Mark Morris called 911 and requested assistance in the search for his son. He then called his sister, Linda, and only managed to say that Mama and Daddy are on the floor. After hanging up the phone, Mark walked outside of the house, where he saw one of his father's friends pulling up in his pickup truck. Mark told him what happened and said he needed help finding Ryan. He then ran to the home of a neighbor, Sherry McDonald. He asked if she had seen Ryan or knew what had happened next door. Sherry said no, and Mark ran back to his parents' house. His sister, Linda, arrived just around the same time as the first responders. Morehouse Parish Sheriff Deputy Jim Culp and Wildlife and Fisheries Agent Buddy Henderson were the first to arrive on scene. Deputy Culp's report notes that he saw Mark Morris, Sherry McDonald, Mark's sister Linda, and several neighbors as he pulled up to the crime scene. Deputy Culp entered the home and did a visual sweep as several deputies joined him on scene, including Morehouse Parish Sheriff Frank Carroll. Mark Morris greeted the sheriff, saying, quote, I'm glad to see the high sheriff is on the job. 
I don't think you're going to find anything. It looks like the perfect crime to me. Sheriff Carroll kept on walking toward the home, but Mark Morris followed behind him, saying, You're going to find they've been shot in the head at close range with a 22. Sheriff Carroll stopped, turned around, and explained to Mark he didn't know which type of weapon had been used in the crime because investigators had barely started. Mark Morris explained, that's just the way most assassins do it. Sheriff Carroll called the Louisiana State Police Crime Lab in Baton Rouge for assistance. He secured the area surrounding the house as local law enforcement began their investigation. Just outside the house, they found a footprint and a cigarette butt. Inside, they found Lee and Lou dead on their bedroom floor. On the hallway floor, investigators found a white sock, Lee's wallet, and his glasses with one glass out of its frame. Outside of the Morrises' home, their son Mark told parish deputy Bill Franks that this was the biggest case to ever hit Morehouse Parish and promised to use every cent of the insurance money from his parents' death to track down the person who killed them. Because the bodies of Lee and Lou Morris were discovered on a holiday that fell on a Sunday, the news of the well-known couple's death didn't reach much of the region until two days later. Bastrop is a small town in northern Louisiana. Small town papers weren't staffed on holidays, and local authorities didn't have the resources they needed to search for a missing child, which led to a delay in deploying search teams for nine-year-old Ryan Morris until late in the morning on New Year's Day. As the search for the child continued and the story spread across Louisiana, reporters traveled to northern Louisiana to interview locals. On January 3rd, the Associated Press featured an interview with Mark Morris, a reporter traveled to Bastrop, and Mark agreed to talk to him about his son to help raise awareness about the case. He described what he had seen when he walked into his parents' home on New Year's Eve, when he was asked about why someone would kill his parents and take his son. His reply left the reporter feeling ill at ease. Mark said, somebody has killed my family and taken my boy. There's going to be no plea bargaining to recover his body. Investigators and even Mark Morris's friends who were helping search for Ryan, hoping to find him alive, were left wondering, why would Mark make a comment about finding his son's body? As news services began picking up on the tragic story in Bastrop and Mark Morris's odd comment about his son, a newspaper claimed Mark had been named the prime suspect in his parents' murder. When a reporter asked Mark if this was true, he said he had been asked routine questions you'd expect when you find your parents murdered and your son's missing. Mark Morris seemed oblivious to the reality that he was not liked by some members of his own family and many folks in his small town. Bastrop was a town of little over 13,000 in 1996, and everyone knew everyone, and everyone knew their neighbor's business, for better or worse. Lee and Lou 
well, they were well-liked. Lee had been born and raised in Bastrop, and he and Lou had two children, their oldest Linda, born in 1954, and their son Mark in 1956. Linda was married now with three children. Mark was a divorced father of two. Mark had been married until 1991 when his wife Norma filed for divorce. She had custody of their children and was hoping for a fresh start. But within a few years of their divorce, she suffered a massive stroke. She was forced to return to her hometown of Minden, Louisiana, where she was cared for by family. She had to leave behind her children in the care of Mark, hoping his parents, Lee and Lou, would help care for them. Norma never made public comments about the murder of Lee and Lou Morris or her son's disappearance. But you can imagine she was feeling the same way the community of Bastrop was feeling. Shocked and especially heartbroken, not knowing what had become of her son. And worried that history was repeating itself with the Morris family. Lee Morris's father and mother, Avery and Maybell Morris, had died under what authorities called suspicious circumstances in July 1977. Little is known about their deaths. We only know they died the same day, just like Lee and Lou Morris. Police and the community of Bastrop were wondering what on earth was happening to the Morris family, and why did they seem more concerned with finding Ryan alive than his own father. Friends and family continued to search for Ryan Morris, even as Mark gave that strange interview mentioning his son's body. During the course of the investigation, Mark also made comments to law enforcement officers and neighbors that Ryan would not be found alive. Deputy Franks overheard Mark tell a neighbor that cops were heading in the wrong direction with the case. They needed to look a couple of miles down the road, near a bridge, over water. Mark also approached Sheriff Carroll, telling him, I don't know why they're going out there. Y'all are going to find his body in a shallow grave near water. He told another deputy that it was possible Ryan could be in the woods behind his grandparents' house. Early in the search for Ryan, on New Year's Day, one of the Morris's neighbors, Mr. Waller, expressed concern that Ryan could be outside and he could be cold. Mark quickly spoke up and told Waller that Ryan was fine. He'd be wearing his San Francisco 49ers pajamas and a sock. Mr. Waller expressed concerns that Mark had a response for everything the search party suggested, but never participated in a search for his son. Mark reportedly explained to Waller that Ryan had to be found. If police didn't find Ryan, it would take Mark up to seven years to get his inheritance. As Waller and neighbors helped with the search for Ryan, the Louisiana State Police Crime Lab examined the Morris home. Their report notes they made a cast of a footprint found outside the house. They also reported the house did not look ransacked, and the murder scene wasn't bloody. Blood was concentrated below the victim's heads, with a few specks on a boot near Lee's body and one of his fingers. Autopsies revealed Lee Morris had been shot at close range in his left eye. Lou Morris had been shot in her left temple. 
the killer used a 22 caliber weapon. The FBI offered their assistance in the case. On January 1st, 1996, Mark Morris consented to a search of his home. FBI Special Agent Tanza found a 22 revolver in Mark's kitchen cabinet and an unspent 22 caliber bullet near a gun cabinet in the living room. FBI expert comparison of Mark Morris's 22 revolver and a lead fragment removed from Lee Morris's body could not exclude Mark's revolver as the murder weapon. In an interview with Mark Morris, FBI agent Tanza showed him a composite drawing of the man they believed to be the killer. He explained that a witness had seen someone around the Morris house the night of the murder and helped them with this sketch. When Mark saw it, he commented how much it looked like him and suggested his father must have let the killer into the house because the man looked like Mark. Turns out, there was no witness. The sketch was a ruse the FBI and Sheriff Buckley came up with to see how Mark would reply. During the same interview, investigators were struck by how Mark referred to his son as the boy or that boy. He also pointed out he knew a lot about the criminal justice system and knew how to beat it if he had to. That's when Mark Morris suggested that a smart killer would hold on to the location of Ryan's body and use it in negotiations to save himself from the death penalty. Investigators felt Mark Morris was their strongest suspect. His predictions about the type of gunshot wounds his parents sustained were correct. And sadly, his prediction about his son's body being found and the area where the body would be also proved to be correct. On January 27, 1996, the body of nine-year-old Ryan Morris was found lying partially submerged under a bridge within three miles of his grandparents' home. Ryan was wearing his San Francisco 49ers pajamas when a local teenager made the heartbreaking discovery. Just like his grandparents, Ryan Morris had been shot in the head with a 22 caliber weapon. One month after the discovery of Ryan's body, Mark Morris was arrested. Two days later, a grand jury indicted him for three counts of murder. When the indictments were handed down, Sheriff Carroll began to talk to reporters, revealing details he could not share earlier in the investigation, including some of the incriminating remarks Mark made to him and many others. Sheriff Carroll revealed Mark was their number one suspect from day one. The only other suspect in the case was his ex-wife, Norma, because she hated her husband so much. But she was cleared. Sheriff Carroll revealed Mark's comments to neighbors about the possible location of his son's body. He also shared that a friend of Mark's reached out to investigators after a chilling conversation in which Mark Morris told him he shot his dumbass father because he was going to be written out of his father's will. The new will would go into effect January 1st, 1996. In all, Mark Morris made 40 self-incriminating statements. His defense filed a motion to exclude all of them. But on January 18th, 1997, 
the presiding judge ruled that 36 of Mark's 40 statements would be allowed at trial. Mark spent the next two years fighting for a change of venue and changing lawyers several times. A judge granted that change of venue to Lake Charles, about 200 miles south of Bastrop. Mark Morris's trial began on October 18, 1999. The prosecution argued Mark's motive to murder his parents was greed, money. His son Ryan witnessed his father murder his grandparents, which led to Mark killing his own child. All because Mark Morris knew he was running out of time to get that inheritance. Lee and Lou Morris had financially supported Mark for a long time, through a failed marriage and a failed business, because they felt it was the best thing to do for their grandchildren. Investigators learned Mark was taking most of that money and wasting it on video poker. When his father found out, they argued, and Lee Morris made the decision to stop supporting Mark. Lee broke the news to his son, telling him he had written him out of his will. Lee's new will would go into effect on January 1st. The district attorney said Lee Morris unknowingly gave his son a deadline to murder his own parents. They had to be dead no later than December 31st, 1995, because any chance of contesting that will would go away once a new state law went into effect on January 1st. Until the end of 1995, a state law known as forced airship would have required Lee and Lou Morris to equally divide their estate between their children. But around the time Lee Morris learned his son was gambling away financial support from his parents, the residents of Louisiana voted to repeal forced airship. Investigators confirmed Lee and Lou Morris met with their attorney and filed their new will at the courthouse. As of January 1st, Mark would be disinherited. Throughout his trial, Mark Morris's own words came back to haunt him as 36 self-incriminating statements were presented as evidence. Ultimately, Mark Morris's inability to keep his mouth shut secured his conviction. During a pretrial hearing on December 4, 1996, a courtroom audio recording captured the moment Mark Morris was overheard talking to his defense attorney. During that conversation, he admitted he killed his parents and son and suggested he should just go ahead and confess. Since Mark hired several more attorneys as the years went on, the judge ruled attorney-client privilege from the 1996 hearing was gone and the courtroom confession tape was played for the jury. The jury convicted Mark Morris of all three counts of first-degree murder. During the penalty phase, the jury was unable to reach a unanimous verdict over life in prison or a death sentence. In January 2000, a hearing was held to decide whether Mark Morris would be granted a new trial. The petition was denied, and Mark was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences without the chance of parole. Mark Morris is nearly as old as his parents were when he murdered them in 1995. 
He's 66 now and behind bars at Louisiana State Prison Angola, where he will remain until the day he dies. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. You can find sources and more about this episode and the show at southernmysteries.com. Special thanks to my Southern Mysteries patrons who help make this independent podcast possible, including our newest members, listening and supporting from mysterious locations, Elise, Marty, Jarvis, and Thelma. Since signing up, they've been listening to a lot of stories you can't hear anywhere else. You can only listen when you support the show on Patreon. You can hear the show archive of more than 60 episodes and new this year, a patron-exclusive podcast called Audacious, Tales of American Crime, which focuses on scandalous and shocking true crime in American history. It is easy to opt in and out of giving, so I hope you'll try it out. As an independent podcast staffed by only one, which is me, your support is the reason I'm able to keep sharing Southern Mysteries and more stories through Patreon. You can learn more about supporting the show and sign up today at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. And hey, if you can't financially support the show right now, I get it. There are other ways to show you're a fan and help spread some love for Southern Mysteries. Share this episode on your socials or leave a review where you're listening. Doing that helps spread the word about Southern Mysteries. Appreciate it and appreciate you for listening. Careful.